Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 177 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel, and this time, um, Henry Catchpole, because this is the second part of our live podcast recording from Henry's Car Barn um, towards the end of August. This is the Q&A session, um, and that's how we closed out the live podcast. We invited questions from the audience, and I think it is a good, fun, sort of vibey session, and there are some fun silly questions in there but also a handful that were really quite challenging and you might hear us sort of struggle to come up with a satisfying answer to some of those. Um, this was our first ever live podcast recording. We're going to do more because it seemed to go down well. I think the people who were there enjoyed it. If you want to listen to the first part um, of the, the podcast recording you need to go back a couple of weeks to episode 175 um, you can listen to that first and then come back to this one. Um, thank you to Henry's Car Barn for being just the perfect venue, the perfect location for this sort of gathering. And thank you as well to our classic vehicles insurance specialist, Footman James. Now, Footman James, like all of our partners, they exist right at the heart of the car enthusiast scene in this country. They understand what it means to be a car enthusiast. Um, and there could be no better place to start when looking to renew your car insurance than Footman James because they really do understand what it means to be into cars, to have a car or cars that are your pride and joy. Um, They are celebrating their 40th year this year, and they're unlike other car insurance companies. For one thing, they hold regular meets called Coffee and Chrome where hundreds, if not a thousand or more, car enthusiasts come together to share their passion. And these events are totally free. So you can see how Footman James really does take being at the heart of the car enthusiast scene very seriously. So go and visit footmanjames.co.uk or click the link in the description of this podcast to find out more. But thank you very much for listening and enjoy the episode. 
Well, I think we should open it up to the, the floor. So I can see a hand in the air. Hello. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for TI. I think it's just absolutely brilliant. I think I've, I bollock on about it in the comments all the time. But <laughs> I think it's, it is to motoring journalism as Motorsport magazine is to, to you know, the motorsport side of things. Thank you very much. Thank you very thank much. You. Um, I was wondering, Henry, about that. Was it the McMurtry? Is that what it's called? The McMurtry, yeah. Did it, like, uh, change or reframe the way you think about what Formula One drivers do? Because the amount of G-force that it generates is the only thing that can really get close to replicating that experience? Like, how did it change the way you think about that, or did it? Um, yes, yeah, it, it definitely it gives you that that window into the, the world of a Formula One driver, and I think that's the extraordinary thing about that car, it is still a car, um, that because it's electric, actually it makes the, the barrier to entry in terms of driving pretty low, because you've got two pedals, you've got no gears to worry about, and a, and a steering wheel, it's, it's it's very basic to that extent. So you, you, there's a certain amount where your brain doesn't have to think about all the other things that sort of um, are going on, obviously, in a Formula One car. Um, and when you listen to you know, Lewis or somebody describe a lap and all the things that they're changing through a lap and how they're managing everything whilst dealing with the sort of G-forces that I experienced in that, it, it sort of, yeah, it does blow your mind, to be honest, in terms of um, what they're what they're coping with and it, and it does feel like a real privilege to actually have that that window into into their their world so yeah i can see why owners that you know people have huge collections would want one because it's i don't see how else you could really get that because even in a formula one car it's 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 so you've, you've got such a journey up to that level of grip and trusting the aero um, and you've got the things like the sort of if, if you get a gust of wind, you, know, you hear again them talking about it over the radio, or there's a you know, big gust of wind at the end of a straight or whatever, completely ruins your braking, or you get a big snap of oversteer mid corner. In the McMurtry, that doesn't happen because you've got the you know, downforce coming from the fans. So if you spin the car, which I did because that was kind of they, they said you've got to try and spin it, and all you have to do is just remember to take your hands off the wheel because obviously the kickback in that one in particular is so strong. Um, but you've still got 2,000 kilos of downforce whilst you're going backwards. So you stop like that, which is, um, yeah, it, it makes the sort of the barrier to entry f for experiencing those things um, relatively low, uh, which is, yeah, amazing. Earlier, we talked about the future of motoring journalism. Mm. One of the big changes we've had over the last 10 years is the rise of what used to be called citizen journalism. The three of you all came through the magazine world. What are people missing out on not having that sort of um, education? And what can people do now to make their content and their copy stand out in the crowd? Wow, um, what a question. Uh, I fear they're missing out on a lot. Um, actually, I, th I think more than anything else, they're missing out on a lot of fun. Um, because when there are big teams of us, roaming around the countryside and the continent doing really stupid things. Um, you know, some of the happiest times I've spent my entire career were on the autocar road test desk, um, when it was, it was just a bunch of idiots um, who had this license to go off and do... Th and because people just liked what we did, then we were allowed to 
to go on doing it. I think for people trying to get into it today, you've just got to find a way of making yourself stand out. I mean, I think there's another question as to whether you should, because if you're a motoring journalist, uh, uh, with vanishingly rare exceptions, you're never going to become a wealthy person. It's not something where people make a lot of money out of. Um, it's hard work. The hours are weird. Um, there's a lot of donkey work. But when it's good, it's incredible. Um, and certainly, I'm sure I can speak for the three of us. I mean, I couldn't do anything else. I, I did try. Um, failed a lot. Um, and I wouldn't want to do anything else now. But for, for young people coming through now, because there are so many different places where your work can be seen, um, that means each piece of work is going to get seen by fewer people. And so it is that much more difficult to stand out. But you know, certain people, do they do just find a way. Um, they will go and get themselves a master's from Coventry University in motoring journalism. That's something that you can do. They will get work experience on a car magazine and they will be the first to turn up and they will be the last to leave and they'll never wait to be asked to do something. They won't even ask what they can do. They'll have just gone and done it. And, you know, there was, there was a bloke who, when I was um, on Autocar, we created a job which didn't exist because we just thought this bloke is so good we don't want anybody else having him. Um, and I think to an extent that still does happen. Um, but it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. The other thing I would say, um, and I can speak, say this as a sort of slightly... Um, the older member of the panel, is I always thought by the time I got to the age that I am now that I would have been replaced. I would have just been you know, run out of town because it's a young man's game. And I think that where I've been lucky is that... You know, guys like Dan and like Henry have come through, but the, but not in the same sort of numbers that were around at the time that I was doing it. Um, so I've been able to you know sort of struggle on, and and I've been very lucky because I think the young people today there's so many different things attracting their attention. I think again, with many many exceptions, people are just less into cars. The youngest today are just less into cars than than we were. Um, so it's it's kept us busy, but it's a really interesting point. Um, and you, I think it's like all things, you just got to try harder and think smarter. I think the the one thing I was very lucky I had had an apprenticeship and I was enormously grateful for that because I didn't want to start out writing cover stories and driving Ferraris, mad as that may seem, because I wanted to earn that right and feel like I could do it justice when I did it. But when people have asked sort of what they can do, I think in some ways you're incredibly lucky these days because there are so many places that you can publish work um, on social media platforms or anyone can set up a YouTube channel. The thing, I think, and it applied back in the day and now, and whatever medium you're doing, it's the case of practicing. And this idea that not everything has to be published. And you've, you write something, go away, come back, edit it, because that's, that's really when the writing starts to some extent. And just, you don't have to put it out there, which gives you, is, is enormously liberating for a start, because it means that you can write whatever you like, and then come back and look and go, oh, that was rubbish, or oh, actually, I like that bit, and you, you become critical. And the same with the filming side of it. You, know, you don't have to publish everything that you film. Practice it, look at it, see what works, and you will very quickly know what's good and what's not. But, yeah, that element of, of practice and not having to publish, I think, is, is what I always think is sort of helpful in terms of progressing and getting better. Where's the balance between extreme frustration at not being able to exercise it and losing your licence? The balance is found on the stretch of road that you're on. I mean, if we had to drive these cars in central London, we probably wouldn't have done the story. Um, if we'd had a racetrack or 
certain parts of Wales where you can exercise these cars a little bit more, then um, there would have been less frustration. Uh, it, it's part of the job. It's just, I mean, the simple truth is that exercising cars like that on a public road is an exercise in restraint. It's not all mad abandon a foot to the floor and paddle after paddle after paddle. Um, because, you know, you only have to do the maths and work out just how fast you might be going if you did that to realise that's probably not a very good way to conduct yourself in public. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it is something that comes with experience. Um, but you find a way. And... Yeah, I mean, we would have had even more fun if we'd had a racetrack. But I think, I mean, for us, just to have those cars together, the three of them, which had never been done before by anyone, um, professionally for us, that's a big thing. Um, and although we could think, well, if, yeah, if only we'd gone there, or if only we'd been able to do that with them, we would have had even more fun. I mean, to us, actually, being briefly boring and faintly professional, um, what matters to us is the story. And the fact that we were able to bring you that story and we were able to photograph it reasonably well, and because we were able to provide an impression of what they were like to drive, that's what mattered most to us. So the frustration is, for something like that, is, is a bit secondary. There are other circumstances. For instance, say if you go on a car launch, and you know, we've be, all been on these things where, you know, I went on a car launch of a car where the prescri- they sometimes give you prescribed routes and they say you've got to go from this place to the other. And it was in the middle of a big city, out of the big city, down to your carriageway, to a roundabout, and back again. That's frustrating. Because, and it's frustrating, A, because it's clearly very boring. It's also frustrating because you can't do your job. Um, so, yeah, that's about the size of it. Yeah, and actually, it's a very good question. And particularly, you know, when we're working and you're trying to film a video with three extremely noisy cars and you're going back and forth because that's the way it works and you're on uh, reasonably busy roads because we had to be in a certain part of the country, that is enormously frustrating. And then you just have to use your judgment you know, you cannot be howling down these roads at full pelt. You, well, you can, but you won't be doing it for very long. You won't long. be doing it for very long. Um, and actually, particularly when you've borrowed three very valuable cars, for me, one of the overriding emotions is relief at the end of the day. When you've handed them back, nothing terrible has happened. They're in one piece. Yeah. Um, so I think that does say a lot, doesn't it, when you're quite <laughs> pleased. To... Somebody once said to me, what was it like the first time you got out of a McLaren F1 having driven it? Mm. Just, it's exactly that I said, just relief. Yeah. Relief. Mm. Everything's still pointing in the right direction. Have we got the next question? Ah, I give this question, but I couldn't resist. If you had the chance to do it again, what would be your favourite car for driving to and from your wedding, and why? That's that's my uncle, and he's going to be at my wedding in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to and from. Well, they're different, aren't they? <laughs> I left my wedding in a 2CV, um, which was perfect. Made me very happy. My wedding cake was a 2CV-shaped wedding cake as well. Um, I turned up to it in an Aston Martin DB2 for Mark III, which was quite good too. Henry? I walked. Churches <laughs> 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 across the road. I didn't have, to, didn't have to drive a single... Sam, what are you turning up in? Well, I can't say because I'm going to write about it. So <laughs> you can tell us. Nobody's it's, listening. It's, uh, they are. It's, uh, I think it's going to be a good story, but Al, you'll see, you'll see in a couple of weeks. My Mark to Westcott was parked outside the marquee, though. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So he did say, what if you had the chance to do it again, and heaven forbid you don't, what, what would you <laughs> choose? An even older 2CV. Yeah. There you go. I'd, pretty stupid thing it probably would be a 2CV. I, I, 
I have a bit of a thing about these old French sheds, and uh, I just find them unutterably charming. Mm. Um, I don't want to go anywhere fast. I don't want to be in anything ostentatious. I just want to be in a nice, slow, old French shed. You, you like to say it's impossible to be at the wheel of your 2CV and unhappy at the same time. I've driven your 2CV, yeah. and that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's more about you than it does about my car, Dan. <laughs> okay, thank you, Uncle Al. Um, who's next? Uh, uh, congratulations in advance, uh, Dan, on the wedding. I'm, I'm also getting married in two weeks' time. Oh, well done. Uh, going in my Vorus. Perfect. Uh, we'll see if it works. Gets there. Um, <laughs> uh, Doug here, uh, Nightfall Drives on YouTube. Uh, shameless plug. Sorry, um, I'll ask my question before security tackle me. Um, it's relating to actually to Andrew, your point earlier about hiring escorts. Um, yes. I've just heard how that sounds. Um, but uh, it, it's about the future of ownership of cars. Um, do you see ownership uh, continuing as, as you know, enthusiasts? Um, way of experiencing cars or with a generation of people who rent uh, Airbnb and Turo and that sort of thing as cars become more scarce interesting cars become more scarce no, I, I, is that I, more of that going on or still ownership is the main? Ownership, there's nothing quite like, and I don't think it really matters whether what you own is, uh, is cheap or expensive, if you love it and it's in your shed, there's something different about it and it's not the same no, we are so lucky we get to drive the most amazing things but we're always very, very aware that they're not our amazing things. Yeah. Um, and, you know... But you don't create that bond with a car no. in a day. And, and, and all the cars that I own are rubbish, and I love them all, and I wouldn't love them any less if they weren't rubbish. So, no, ownership. Um, I, you know, I, clearly, there are places you can go where you can go and hire cars and go and have a great weekend in them and that sort of thing, and there are sort of carpool schemes where you take a sort of, like, timeshare in a car and i don't have any problem with any of that i'm sure it's all fine but i think for almost all people almost all of the time there is nothing like having your own car and just determining how you look after it how often you drive it making sure that no other bastard gets in it um it's you know there's, there's nothing like it is there no. so no definitely ownership um andrew you mentioned earlier resto modding in a land ah. older land have you done it lord no <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, but for the panel, what would you want to see Rust and Molly from any one car in history? Well, I've, I've already gone. So over to you guys. What would you do? What would you rest do, Mod? Um, I would rest do. Well, there's so many of them now that most people have done things. For a long time, we thought about um, a Subaru Impreza, I think. Yep. So ProDrive have done something similar. They've done that, which I haven't driven yet. I'm hoping I will get to um, drive it, but at a, perhaps a lower level yeah. than that, that would, be, um, that would be pretty cool. I mean, obviously, I want to see a, my, resto mods, my own resto mods, Mark II Escort. When that, that finally uh, emerges would be, be nice. I'd like to see that. Yes. So, yeah. so I, yeah, as we've discussed already, resto mods, they're fantastic. They're the cars I lost after. How old does an A110 Alpine have to be before we can resto mod it? <laughs> <laughs> Three years? Three years? Yeah. There you go. There we go. But I, I, I'm just waiting for this new trend around affordable resto mods to get started. You know? And I've, I've already said, I want an E46 M3 that's been given you know, a tenth of the Singer treatment. Mm. Um, because... I want to be able to afford a resto mod and actually use one and love having it. Um, so that's what I'm waiting for. E46 M3 with, you know, subtly up updated looks, modern comms. Um, it doesn't need more power, but the engine probably needs a refresh. Um, suspension refresh. 
Um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'd like to see. Uh, mine would be an Audi Quattro, by the way. So, uh, shout. Yeah, it's a very good shout. Has anyone done one of those? Audi Quattro, are we aware? Resto mod Audi Quattro. Kind of short, short Quattro, that'd be good, <laughs> wouldn't it? I'd, I'd, I'd be straight there. Um, my question is actually uh, for Andrew. Um, I think as a reader, the most enjoyable pieces are when the excitement of the writer comes across. Yeah. And I remember reading your review of what it was like to drive a Ferrari F40 yeah. and how it made you feel. Yeah. Could you just remind us as an audience in a few words just your recollections of that? I don't know how many you've driven, but uh, I know it left a mark on you. Yes. Sometimes you just get in a car and you think, this is it. I can't imagine. You can imagine a car being faster or going around the corner quicker, but you can't imagine a car dialing into you any more than that particular car. For me, that car was the F40 because it was so... It's a strange combination, F40, because it is so raw and it is so violent in what it does, and yet, strangely, it's on your side. And it comes from an era of Ferraris which weren't on your side. If you drove a, you know, a 328 or a Testarossa or any of the other sort of things they were making at, the same time, at that time, they're quite difficult, tricky cars to drive. Whereas, it's a really weird thing to say, but an F40's never scared me. Maybe I'm not driving the fast, I don't know. But there is something so visceral, so thrilling... And it's, again, it's weird because in my head, I'm a front-engine V12 naturally aspirated kind of guy. And here's this mid-engine V8 twin-turbo car. So in my head, it's all wrong. And you're all, I, it's, it is difficult to say because it is so subjective. But if you get in, you've driven one, haven't you? Yeah. And you just get in there and you just think, this is me. When they were designing this car, my picture was on the wall because there's no other way they could have made a car so tuned to what I want a car to feel like. Um, yeah, I can't really explain it any better than that. I think it's the, it's the, for me, the F40, it's the, it's the rear end and the way that the car, like you said, a lot of the other cars of that era, they, they roll so much and they've got that sort of high... And that sort of lurching, turning, rolly, oversteery, horrible. Of that. Yeah. So as soon as it starts to slide, it's there and you, you, kind of, you know exactly what it's doing and it feels so precise yeah. when it slides, so which means you can then be happy using the boost and because you have to ride the boost out and stay on the boost... You have to slide it, and so, but it just—that's where it's it feels. One of the, it's so one of those. Confidence. It breeds confidence, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the first time, because it's so intimidating. But the first time you realise it's not trying to kill you, a little bit of confidence comes. So you try a bit harder, a bit more, and a bit more, and a bit. And and at the end of it, you just you just feel you are in control of this wild animal. And it's one of those cars that makes you feel like a better driver than you actually are, because it's actually a very, very. It's a weird thing to say about a car which is that fast and looks that mad, but it's a very benign, lovely thing. Wow. Still your favourite ever car? Yeah, I think road car, yeah. Wow. Where are we at? Um, another Henry here. Um, with um, the difficulties we're having with car thefts and um, problems uh, Range Rovers having, for instance, is yeah. keyless entry more trouble than it's worth? Yes. <laughs> keyless. Keyless entry. God. Well, actually, no, I think no, because a few weeks ago, when I was working with Guy here, a couple of hours from home, my other half locked our baby in the car. And we, we don't have keyless go. And so the key somehow was in the boot and the car locked itself. Um, and the baby was in the car on her own Yikes. on a warm day. Yeah. And thank goodness my parents were around and could go and save her. Um, but I, just, I now just think our next car is having keyless. And if someone steals it one day, I don't mind. Because the baby will not get locked in. Um, 
But we were having this conversation earlier, weren't we? Yeah. About cars being stolen. Yeah. They become uninsurable in certain parts of the country. Or you pay, someone quoted £55,000 on insurance for one car. Somebody in this room was telling us about a car manufacturer with an insurance policy that won't insure their own cars. Yeah. <laughs> it's, become, it's become such such a big deal. But, yeah, I mean, the, we all love the convenience of it, don't we? Just turning up to your car, opening the, the door. And uh, no, just you I just want to... Yeah. You can't lose it then, can you? Mm. Yeah. A key, yeah, a little bit of metal that goes in a slot. That's what we want back, isn't yes. it? Yeah, agreed. It is, they are too much trouble. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Who's next? Hi. Um, first of all, thank you so much for putting this event on. I think I speak for everyone when I say that. Um, we all loved the podcast episode about underrated and overrated racing drivers. I'm just curious, um, for Dan and for Henry, and this applies for the WRC and for Andrew, I'm curious as to, this applies to Lamar, who do you think is the most overrated driver in each of those disciplines ever to contest them? Not call Steve McQueen. <laughs> Not call Steve McQueen. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Can I go last? Wow. Who comes to mind? Over, overrated. Overrated. Wow. Um, that is quite <laughs> a question. <laughs> I feel like I want to loop back to you. Um, what, what about as an overrated one? And Amir, I know you're going to disagree with me on this, but what do we think of Sebastian Vettel? Right? Four times world champion. He, in a certain era, in a certain car, potentially unbeatable. I don't know if anyone would have been quicker than he was in that Red Bull in that, that phase. But then he just got spanked. Daniel Ricciardo, Charles Leclerc in the, in the, the hybrid era. Um, I mean, clearly a phenomenal driver. And goodness me, do I look up to him as a driver and a person. Um, it's, it, it, but it was fascinating to me to see him. And we, honestly, there was a time when I thought this guy was maybe going to go on to break all the records be recognized as the greatest of all time. And then just like that, new regulations, and he was being beaten by his teammates. Mm. Have you had time to think of your no. answers? <laughs> haven't even begun. So this, this is good. And, um, well, this is, uh, you know, about to say this, but um, Colin McRae could be considered as... Well, you look at the... Because the, <laughs> there's no denying his absolute, you know, God-given car control and everything like that but should he have won more championships really than he did if you know he was more like Hugh Harkankinen um, I suppose um, and the fact that he you know is it coincidence and he has won world championship to his name I love Colin McRae I love watching him but 
but the esteem with which he is held within um, the rallying scene and the greater driving scene, um, you could argue that um, yeah, you'd have thought he would be a, a multiple world champion rather than just, just once. There you go. <laughs> we dug our ways out of that one, didn't wow. we? Yeah. I'm, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> oh, come on. I've just said Colin McRae with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom Christensen. No, I don't mean that. I'm going to go home and have a cold bath now. Jesus, <laughs> I haven't said that out loud. You know what? Actually, on Colin McRae, the interesting thing about him is that he won one world championship. Tommy McEnan won four world championships. McRae won more rallies. He won one more rally. 25 versus 24. Yeah, I don't think people acknowledge that. <laughs> Special guest, remember? Special. Okay, who's got the mic? Just there. So, slightly changing tack. TVR. Good. Oh. We're, with me, with me, will it return properly? And should it? It's me. Oh, should it? If there's a market for it, then absolutely. Why not? Um, will it? One car in six years doesn't fill me with a huge amount of confidence. Who's got a deposit down? That's interesting, isn't it? It's a good sample size. Um, every so often it rears its head, doesn't it? And you know they've they've done this deal and they've got this backing and they're going to do this, that, and the other. I just you know also I just think, sadly, the time's passed. You know that car in 2017 could have had a following. Um, but also the problem with TVR is that when, and this was my problem with it when we all thought it was happening, is that it would have had to have been so good, and it would have been so good straight out of the box. And we have seen, um, you know, British sports car manufacturers far, far larger than TVR launch cars when they're not quite ready, and their reputation has suffered. Well, TVR's reputation was already, um, you know, not great in that regard. And it's just so hard to imagine that they could have got that car. Anybody can design, and this is what happens with so many manufacturers when they create new brands or they uh, exhume old brands. Uh, and there are so many examples, you know, in Victor and Jensen and Lee France, there, there are lots of them, where actually designing a car is the easy bit. You can go and make a beautiful car and you can, make it, and you can produce a car and go, here you go, this is what I want you to buy. Getting that car to market with the right quality at a price the customer's prepared to pay and then keeping on top of everything else is, I mean, everything you've done up to that point is just like the amuse-bouche before the serious stuff happens. And that's where they all sort that. So, so the answer to your question is, should it happen? If it can, yes. Will it happen? No. I can see it being something completely different to what it was before. So not the TVR that... The Griffith uh, we're talking about of, with... Exactly, uh, the affordable... With the the and, of, yeah. Within the, as we talked about, the, the resto mod market, you can see something coming back that is sort of, you know, fits into that space, but is going to inevitably be at a price point that doesn't reflect the old TVR, yeah. sadly. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. Who's next? Some great questions, so let's keep them rolling. Um, so... You've talked about the story and, uh, you know, I guess when you're planning a three-car thing or something like that, then it's, it's far easier. If it's a new car test, um, again, perhaps you get to test it, think about it, and then, and then write the story. And you're then putting yourself under more time pressure with the more modern, the videos, those sorts of things. So my question is, has there ever been a case where you've had an idea, you're going to write a story, you get there, and then the damn things like, 
blood out of a stone and you don't know what to write and it's been really difficult. Well, you spent hours looking at a blank screen. Yeah. How many times do you want? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it's the reason that I don't script what I'm going to film ahead of time unless if I, you know, when I go on a new car launch or something like that and I, I, I simply don't script it. I'll have an idea of what the car might be like and there'll be certain traits that you look for it and think, yeah, I could have a stab at what it might be like but I find if you do that then frequently you'll miss the real story with the car because you'll be trying to then pigeonhole it into that thing so I just don't do that and you have, yeah, it makes it more difficult. Yeah. It makes yeah. it sort of the editors and they hate it because they'd much rather go there with it all storyboarded and um, nicely packaged, but then you, you can't. You can't with a, with, with, from, a, from a writing point of view, what you pray for is the first line to come into your head. <laughs> because you can write a beautiful story, but if people have already got bored to death before they got to the end of the first paragraph, they're never going to read it. So that's far and away the most important thing of anything you write is your first line, your first paragraph, certainly. And sometimes you'll be driving along, and when we did this triple test, and as I said earlier, I had no idea. I had no preconceptions. I didn't know what I was going to think. But that came to me very quickly. So I was lucky. I already knew how that story was going to start, um, frankly, before we'd stopped driving the cars. Sometimes you just sit down there, and it's... And the problem is, is that the moment you just sit there and you go, I have not the first idea how to start this story, you usually know how it's going to end because you'll, you'll know whether you like the car or not. Um, and then it feeds on itself. It's like... It's like being so stressed about not being able to sleep that you can't sleep. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been awake in the middle of the night thinking, I can't sleep. Yeah. And it's the very fact that you can't sleep which is stopping you sleeping. Um, and it's the same thing. You're looking at the screen, and the fact you can't write is the reason you can't write. So you've just got to stop. You've got to go away and come back. And sometimes, and you can do this, you just grind it out. You just write something, and then it's there. And then if you've got the time, you can revisit it the following morning, hopefully, if you're I haven't got an editor screaming at you. And then suddenly you think to yourself, well, this is how to do it. And then you can adapt it, and then it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think it happens to all of us, and it probably happens more times than we would normally own up to. Um, I'm just going to jump in with my own question, because it's topical, it's relevant here. I often r- wake up to a text message from you at 7.30 or something saying, I've put, something, I've put some copy on the server. Yeah. What's your favourite time of day to write? Are you there at 6am? About quarter past five. Quarter past five. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually logging off. Whatever. Where are we? Yeah, half past eight. That's um, usually me done for the day. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I, I am at my absolute best about three minutes after I've woken up, and it's yeah. just all downhill after that. Yeah, try, <laughs> trying to write well towards the end of the day when you've got a head full of everything else is just impossible. First thing in the morning. Go on. I write in the middle of the night. Do you? Yeah. I always have done. I've, I've, I've always been, a, partly because I'm terrible. I, if I can get up in the morning and write, then it usually goes relatively well. Middle of the day is useless for me. Yeah, yeah okay. But always that point. I always found once everyone's gone to bed and kind of it's, it's just yeah. that lovely middle of the night where you feel the rest of the world is asleep, but then yeah. it's quiet and then I can... And I can time, you know, you can spend a couple of hours on one sentence and it doesn't seem to matter too much. Here we are. So uh, at the beginning of this, Andrew, you referred to this being a time of great change legislation, EVs, all that stuff. And I was just wondering, should and could the media use its power of the crowd to influence policy? We can't influence anything. We can't even get A110s to sell, can we? (laughs) (laughs) It would be lovely to think we could. Influence policy. Well, goodness me. In other words, do do you have a voice to talk to the people that make these rules? No. No, not really. Um, 
I don't think we necessarily have an enormous amount of respect for the people who make those rules because they don't tend to make them for very sensible reasons. Um, a lot of it is obviously to do with um, bandwagons and jumping on them and being perceived to be doing something. Um, yeah, I mean, we don't. Maybe we should. I mean, you know, if you are... I don't know, if you're Jeremy Clarkson or someone like that, then maybe you could, maybe you should. Um, but I don't really think that... You know, the, the, the problem with the direction we're going in is whether it's the right or the wrong direction, we are going in, and it is a juggernaut. And, it's, and, and there's just, particularly from the car manufacturer point of view, far too much time and money has already been spent um, in adapting to what is perceived to be the new world. And you know, this isn't a sort of defeatist attitude, it's just realism, it's happening. So we need to get our heads around it. Yeah, and a lot of the time, they've, the government's already had their advisors from people that we sometimes do know that have given advice that we would give, and then it's been ignored. It's anyway. just been ignored. So, yeah, um, yeah, sadly. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Just here. So, uh, between the three of you, over the years, you've been the custodians of masses of magazine long-term test cars. Yeah. Have you ever become so attached to one during your time with it that you've tried to buy it? <laughs> if, if not, is there one you wish you had bought? We were talking about this earlier. Yeah, there, there, are, there are two. Um, I had a year in an i8 BMW. I think one turned up today. Um, I think one of the most underrated cars out there. Such a beautiful car, such a usable car, such a clever car. Um, and I think that with both the i8 and the i3, the only crime BMW committed was launching these brilliant things years ahead of their time when the market just wasn't ready for them. Um, that was one. And I had a 720S McLaren for six months. And that never, ever... The novelty of that never wore off. Not once. There wasn't a single journey I did in that car when I didn't get out of it thinking, wow. Um, so, yeah, those are the two that really stand out for me. I remember... I think I asked how much it would be to buy my Renault Sport Megane R26R that I drove for a year. Um, I actually met the guy who has only had one I know since then, and um, he came up to me at Goodwood recently and said he still got it, which is, was nice. So, um, but yeah, that was that was a car that um, was just about so the idea of it was within reach, and um, yeah, I still love that car now. So, yeah. And actually, you currently have an M340i yeah. Touring. And isn't your brother going to bid BMW? Yeah, he is, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I have this, yeah, exactly that BMW N340i Touring. Best car BMW make, um, I think. And, um, yeah, I, I have, I've got other stuff coming and I've no need for it, but um, it's sufficiently impressive that it's going to go back to BMW, I think, in a month's time. Um, and my brother's just asked to ask BMW what they, they want for it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, good car. Um, so we've got time, I think, for... At least one more question. We've got okay. We'll take two more. Yeah. Hello. Uh, thanks for the evening. Uh, when was the last time you laughed or cried as a result of what or where you were driving? Laughed or cried? <laughs> Goodness me. Oh, good question. Okay, I can remember. Okay, I was crying with laughter. Does that count? It's both. <laughs> I was in a little old 1964 Alfa Giulia Ti race car in the wet at Donington and I turned into Coppice which is the right hand corner over a blind brow and that was the only time the steering wheel was turned in the right direction (laughs) 
and it just starts to. And it, it's one of those cars where you get to the point and you just think, I'm not sure what I would have to do to spin this because it was so. And I can remember thinking to myself, if you don't stop laughing, you are going to get into trouble. <laughs> um, and I was, yeah, I was weeping. And, and every lap it did that. So that was. And, and I guess it's actually an important thing because that was not a val- that's not a valuable car. I don't think I've. I, when I think of the moments of purest joy I've had in a car, mm. probably going sideways through a, through coppice in the wet in a silly old Alfa race car. Well, I can't beat that. I, so it wasn't the most recent time. But something that always sticks in my memory was um, up at Bedford Autodrome, um, quite a number of years now. But we had a GT86, and it was wet. And it was Bedford does get very greasy when it gets gets wet and particularly that time of year. And I think I was there, Jethro was there, Dickie was there, um, I think John was there as well. And all four of us had this supposedly sort of entry level driver's car um, with very little grip and sort of you know nice handling balance and everything like that. Could we do a lap without spinning it? <laughs> <laughs> and there was something hey, about you, those Michelin Prime C tires on that yeah. way. They, they, they just reached that that point. You think I've got this, I've got this, and you'd try and sort of. And we were trying to do vaguely silly things, perhaps um, on some thing. But um, yeah, we were all. That was the day that none of us could drive, and we probably vowed wouldn't speak about it, but we were absolutely howling with laughter, whether in the car or standing at the track, going, he's got it, he's got it, he's got it, he's got it, he hasn't got it. He's got it in there. So, yeah, that was um, hilarious. Fantastic. Okay, so the last question. Sorry, at the risk of uh, ending on a low and, and putting my head... Oh, we can't do that. And, uh, ...and putting my head in the lion's mouth, I think I'll still do it. So... Um, we started off, uh, Andrew, early uh, by saying that actually you're quite optimistic about the future, particularly ICE, yeah. for for human ingenuity. You know, we always have an answer, don't we, uh, it seems. But, you know, with respect to all of us, I, I, a view I want to put forward is we're dinosaurs, quite frankly, in, in one sense, which is that the younger generation aren't interested in driving particularly. There's the statistics show that less number of youngsters are applying for driving licenses, etc. Yeah, and quite frankly, some of them who do drive will be very happy driving a washing machine because for them it's a complete utility. Um, you know, use it's, it's it's completely different to to all of us, which is all the emotion and all the rest of it. So, my question really is around: Do you do you think there is a finite timeline? Actually, despite everything we've heard uh, around that, there is. I don't think there is because there may not be as many young people um, who are that obsessed with cars we were when we were young but you know there's certainly one in here um there are young guys around you know my nephews um are obsessed with cars they love uh, everything about them so there may not be as many but they're still out there um and you know maybe it's long after we've all gone but um you know i can't see it uh, and, and i think that it will need to shrink a bit because we're not going to be able to use our cars in quite the same way as, as we did so maybe that's not a bad thing but no i think that there will always and when i saw the Lamore classic a few weeks ago i was amazed by the number of young people who are roaming around the paddocks um just looking at stuff because they could um i was quite heartened by it all yeah i think there's a element as well to which you know i agree obviously the, the wider population is is less interested in cars and, and all that but we are effectively sort of, you know, despite the number of us gathered here, we are a, a niche interest audience yeah. still in terms of these cars and the sort of cars that are produced are produced in relatively small numbers by manufacturers. And therefore, I think, you know, the, the, I, I still think there are enough 
people coming through who love cars to be able to fill a room like this in the future. So yes, the, the wider um, population might not be as interested in cars or, or care um, as much about cars, but I think that core, hopefully, yeah. that is interested, will still be there, and it will speak to those people in a way that, you know, when we all go to a, a dinner party or something, we try to explain exactly what it is, and why we bought the manual version of um, a particular car, and their eyes glaze over, but, <laughs> you know, you recognise the kindred spirit across the room, and, and they will still still be there, so... Yes, wider speaking, perhaps not, but I, I, I'd like to think that um, yeah, enough people will still be um, enthused about it in the future. Um, just, a, just a quick one. I just want to have just a very quick response. Um, I was at the Bridges Motor Show um, the other day, and driving back, I stopped off at um, Cobham Services, and the services was completely taken over by young people in restaurants, entire Cobham services, wow. young people in restaurants, and it did make me feel a little bit uplifted. I'm somebody who's going to be a grandfather by the end of the year, but I was extremely uplifted to see so many young people with all sorts of restaurants taking over the entire Cobham services. So it gave me a bit of a bit of a lift, thinking that yes, I think we do have more petrol heads still coming on. Fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> So, Kate, 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 just before, just before we end, I was hoping that we'd hear from Goodwin before we wrapped up. So, does, does Goodwin have a, have a question? Can he dream one up very quickly? No, the crashing thing is, is interesting. I actually only worked with Andrew once. Yeah. Um, we didn't well. cross over at Autocar. By the time I got, a, I got to Autocar, he was on Motorsport. But we did go to... Uh, a test track. Aldershot. Aldershot, um, which we'd not used before, and it was all tarmac, but very good quality, and it looked like a natural racetrack. And um, can Andrew remember what, what happened? Yes. You knew it better than me. I'd had one sighting lap, and I can get <laughs> lost getting out of a car park. We had a Fiat Coupe Turbo and a Honda... Something. What was it? Prelude. It was a prelude. Blue. Blue. <laughs> anyway, we decided, now I'll rephrase that, Colin decided that we had to have a race around this track. And our photographer, Stan, dropped something which we took to be a flag and we set off. And I think I must have been in the fear because I got off the line better and I was ahead. Um, when... What happened? Oh, yes, I turned into what I thought was a flat right, which turned out to be a very slow left. <laughs> so I was on the left-hand side of the track turning right very fast, while Colin was on the right-hand side of the track turning left. Um, and actually, talking about crying and laughing, I can remember you, when, when the cars finally came to a rest and you got out of the Honda, you, you were unable to stand, you were laughing so much. <laughs> You were lying on the ground, shaking with laughter. So we'd actually done a proper damage assessment. Um, and we then went and bought most of the teacup in the southeast of England and spent an afternoon polishing furiously. And we managed to convince the manufacturers that the damage that we couldn't cover up was the result of manoeuvring them in a car park or something. So, yes, that was the All the Shot Grand Prix, and it's the only time I've ever... 
been on a track with Colin Goodwin. And the last? Oh, first, last, yes. Yeah, lesson learned. <laughs> I think we'd have survived long if we'd have worked, worked together. together Okay, well, we must wrap it up. Um, so thanks again to Henry's Car Barn for having us in this beautiful venue. And, and thank you to Footman James for making this possible in the first place. And they are at the back of the room if you want to go and talk to them. To our special guest. Very special. Henry Catchpole, <laughs> thank you for taking the time. And to all of you for subscribing, for coming to this first event of ours, for making it such good fun, thank you. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.